fade in on me. Uh, the Zach Strickland show today here with you on Freightonomics. So, no, uh, Anthony is calling in from Chicago. He got a little nervous, uh, I think, because Kaylee did such a good job filling in. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to call in and, and, and help you out today. But welcome to Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence with you. And I believe we have an Anthony Smith calling in. Is that, is that accurate? Can we get Anthony on? There he is. There he is. Anthony, can you hear me? I cannot hear you. <laughs> so I'm going to keep talking because uh, I don't know if they can hear you or not. Uh, so while they're working on that, uh, one of the things that we're going to cover today is the reaction time. Economic, we are in a transitional state in the economy right now. We're going into a period, whether you believe we're in a recession or not, uh, we're going into a period where things are slowing down quite significantly. And there's they're starting to see some bubbles uh, starting to pop, some changes in the economic environment, and especially in the supply chain, because supply chains are still relatively discombobulated. We don't have a lot of fluidity in, in the market. Uh, so I guess uh, while we're waiting on Anthony's uh, feed to come live, I'm going to go ahead and start things off by doing the market in two and giving everybody their freight market uh, update uh, over what we've seen in the last week. So I'm going to go ahead and just count myself in. Uh, three, two, and one. All right. So the first chart we have up here today is the NTI. This is the spot market, our spot rate index uh, that measures changes in the spot market. The spot market leads contract rates, and it tells us when there's a lot of volatility with capacity uh, and or demand uh, going on in the truckload sector. And right now, we're seeing a little bit of an uptick, about a $0.07 cent per mile increase since September 22nd. Uh, looks like it, there may be some fundamental changing going on underneath uh, all of this, uh, what has been a very stable environment for truckload uh, over the last few months. And I don't think that there really is anything to worry about. We've had things like Ian, Hurricane Ian, having an influence here. And also, uh, it was the end of quarter, end of month. Every year, we see a little bit of a bump at the end of September. Now, it doesn't normally last this long, but I think Ian is probably a big reason for that. If we go to the next chart, I'll tell you why I think Ian is. This is the spot rate chart for Atlanta to or, or the uh, Lakeland market, Central Florida. You can see a huge jump there. And if you look through the market dashboard at various spot rates, pretty much every rate going into Orlando right now or into Lakeland, Tampa, anything in Central Florida is elevated over the trend that it was on. You can see rates were actually on a downward trend before Ian hit. Now they're going up. If we go to the next chart and kind of illustrate this a little bit more deeply, I try. LAL, which is the inbound tender rejection index for the Lakeland market, uh, Central Florida. Huge jump. It's starting to come back down now, telling me this is going to be a temporary situation. If we go to the next chart, uh, which is the outbound tender volume index for the United States, we can see no real significant changes in the demand side. Uh, a little bit of a bump there towards the end of September, but this is an artificial jump created by Ian at end of month, end of quarter. And the last little tidbit I'm going to leave you with in the next chart, outbound rail volumes out of Ontario, Southern California, huge jump as the rail strike recovery happens. All right, that's it for the market in two. Uh, guys, let me know if Anthony comes back online. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep uh, talking, to, talking to myself. Uh, so, the point of all of that is really that we're seeing a little bit of fundamental destabilization in 
the spot market, but it's not necessarily going to be anything we see as a long run. Uh, Long-term destabilization, of course, would be a huge spike in OTVI, the chart that I was showing you there earlier. Um, that's going to be that contracted freight volume. So when the Walmarts and the Home Depots and the Amazons of the world start shipping something more uh, significantly, if we want to pull that chart back up just to get a little bit more focus, you can see there's actually a pretty decent downward trend on that white line there. Looking at 2019 and the orange, uh, we still got a long way to drop. Uh, if you if you actually looked at tender rejection rates for 2019 in our current environment, they're almost flat dead even with each other. Uh, so this market still has a long way to drop, but we're actually seeing contract compliance uh, on the truckload side similar to what was considered a very soft 2019 market. And I think that's what a lot of people are waiting on right now is, uh, are we going to return to that soft cyclical environment where truckload rates start to decline? And I believe we have Anthony Smith coming back live from Chicago. Anthony, are you there? <laughs> Zach, I am here. There you are. You're not just the voice in my head anymore. Thank goodness uh, for that. No. Anthony, you're in, you're in Chicago, right? That's kind of like a freight market hub for a lot of, uh, a lot of people. It is, it is. And oh man, and we lost him again. So we'll, we'll eventually get more than three words out of Anthony, I promise. So yeah, the freight market itself, uh, still looking like we're headed towards further easing, further uh, downward uh, pressure on rates, et cetera. Uh, with that being said, there are other things happening in the market that we're dealing with. Uh, and we're going to go into the news of the day and hopefully we get Anthony to have some of his insights here shortly. Maybe we'll just have him call. Uh, uh, so a few things happened. Uh, over the last week, a few stories that I really wanted to highlight, one of them being, you know, unfortunate, uh, a shutdown uh, that was reported on by Clarissa Hawes, Lone Star dedicated ceasing operations. Now, the, the big takeaway here isn't that we're going to see some sort of like, this isn't just like, oh, this market is so troubling and everybody's already exiting the market. The, the big takeaway for me out of this story is that they were profitable. They were making money. Uh, all the way up to the end. And the owner simply just said, this is really just more of a headache at this point. I see what's coming. Uh, I don't want to operate in this downward trending environment anymore. And basically just said, nah, uh, we're, we're out. Uh, he said the only reason he really kept it going was uh, the jobs, which was valiant on his part, but it just didn't last. So this one to me is all right, we got Anthony on the phone. Anthony, are you there? Can you talk to us about what you think about uh, trucking companies shutting down while they are still profitable? Yeah, I think when whenever you start to see something like this, I think it might be a, an indicator that some folks are trying to get out with minimal damage. If they already see potentially a bottom already uh, in place or a bottom in sight, and they don't want to get to that bottom, there could be a potential of like, you know what, saying, hey, this is going down. Is, has room to go down further and let's just get out while we still can. Yeah, I, I think that's it's an interesting statement. I think this guy also has been operating uh, for a while and he's been through a few of these cycles and anybody that's been in trucking for longer than say probably four or five years, uh, the last, I guess, well, 2019 was pretty rough too, but 2016 was really rough uh, for the trucking sector as we had that industrial recession uh, environment that really took the legs out from under a lot of people, which of course then led to a subsequent 
uh, erosion of capacity, setting us up for that 2017 market that was uh, quite robust. And then it caused a lot of uh, fleet owners to jump back in, buy some trucks, buy some equipment. And that kind of leads us into a few of these other stories. Actually, the last story I want to get to addresses some of this fleet growth situation. We covered it earlier on FreightWaves Now, but I want to dive deeper into the purchases of, uh, of Class 8 orders uh, coming up. But first, one of the stories is uh, minority and independent truckers challenge the hair testing for drugs. Now, this hair testing story is basically being, uh, there's a contingency of carriers that are basically saying, hey, we need hair testing to be applicable to the FMCSA uh, drug and alcohol policy. So if you are an, an offender and you have tested positive, uh, according to, you know, and you are put into a database, which then uh, prohibits you from getting in a, in a truck for a long period of time. This is a little disproportionately affecting the smaller fleets and, of course, the owner-operators because hair testing, number one, is extremely expensive. Uh, and the large fleets, basically, uh, they, they own this process. Uh, and they want to somewhat, you know, they, they argue for safety, which is valid, uh, but they want to make sure that this is applicable for, you know, entrants not coming back in in another form, especially if they violated a hair test, uh, which is considered a little bit more accurate. Uh, however, the argument against it is that just because you test positive for drugs doesn't make you a habitual user, especially since hair follicle testing has a longer breadth of impact. It's not testing you while you're operating a vehicle, but it could be weeks, months after you've operated a vehicle that you test positive. Anthony Smith, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, when we're looking at this, uh, that was one of the first things that came to my mind was around what's actively in their system. Are they a repeated user? And a lot of the drugs that are going to be testing for the half-life may not show up on a hair follicle test, might be out of their system. Although, I'm, I'm sorry, with the hair follicle test, I, I know it's going to be um, there much longer, but this definitely seems a little bit more uh, uh, targeted for certain drugs than some of the others. Yeah, I think it also targets uh, the owner operators a little bit more and also the small fleets as they could potentially pick up uh, some of these people that tested positive on the hair follicle test at a larger fleet and they could go to a smaller fleet environment and still operate a vehicle. Um, it could potentially impact about 64,000 drivers, according to this article, which of course capacity inhibitor, uh, which is something that a lot of the, if you are in a large fleet environment, that's something you want because it allows you to limit uh, any new entrance. Uh, it's a barrier to entry. Uh, so interesting case. They don't think that it's actually going to happen because they have to go through the process of validating the test uh, and, and so be it. So the next story, I think this is the big story of the week for me, is Alan Adler uh, reported on this. Class 8 orders uh, set monthly record in September. And I have a chart uh, that I kind of had to add on here uh, for orders uh, that I want to put up. Uh, the orders chart here, yeah, I kind of had to draw my own line because this is a preliminary report here. And if you look at this chart, there's a little line that shoots up <laughs> above every single one of those peaks. This is Class 8 orders according to ACT Research. Uh, and the article basically goes on to cover things and saying, 53,700 uh, orders uh, were placed in the month of September. And this is preliminary, uh, but it breaks all-time monthly records. A little bit of seasonality here, and the reasons behind it are very interesting. Uh, a lot of it is, a, is basically 
people haven't been able to order the amount of equipment that they wanted to order. So I actually was on the mailbag the other day talking about this, uh, how it's been surprising to me that some of these large fleets have been so disciplined in their fleet replenishment cycles. Every you know year, all these large fleets and small fleets too go through a process of saying, we need to replace our older equipment. They want to keep their fleet age down because that reduces maintenance costs. It also is good for drivers because they don't want to get broken down on the side of the road. Uh, Anthony Smith, did you read this article? And I would love to hear your thoughts on this one. In, a, in what appears to be a slowing economic environment, we're seeing record level investment in assets. What do you think? Yeah, so with this article and one of the things that kind of aligns interestingly with this is also we're seeing um, increases in capital goods expenditures. So for the latest report from uh, the durable goods orders report comes out monthly, not that, uh, you know, frequently high frequency data. But when we looked at that, we saw overall durable goods orders were down 0.2%. But when we look at core capital goods new orders, um, so non fixed capital goods new orders, essentially uh, an indicator of business, business investment. So the year over year, it's showing that there's momentum there. And the year-over-year trends are still showing that um, there's, uh, you know, some stability there at the moment. Um, the interesting thing is uh, that I sent my new orders a component day to go back down in pent-up inventory upstream for manufacturers. So I'm also curious for how much of this is potentially a, um, you know, pull forward um, if, if you're making these purchases, if you're making these acquisitions on credit and not on cash. Um, just with interest rates, of course, going up, these purchases are going to be a little bit more expensive the longer you wait to um, uh, execute them. Do you think that some of this, and I want to—I kind of want to apply this to the broader economic situation, because you just mentioned how capital goods expenditures are actually on the rise, or they have some stability at the moment. Do you think this is actually going to support us not diving a little bit too deep into a recessionary trend, or do you think there'll be some support there from this? Uh, in a macroeconomic world, I don't. I don't think this will be enough to divert um, the overall trend that's going on right now. Just because at the main overall economy, just because, of course, you know, over or nearly 70% of it's going to be built off of consumer activity and things like that. So I, I do think a lot of it's going to be some pull forward. I think another part of it's going to be uh, a lot of folks really trying to, um, you know, get that, that almost that just in case uh, uh, pull forward as well. I think this might be applicable for this uh, class eight space as well. But just overall for uh, the macro economy and manufacturing, I don't think manufacturing is going to be enough to really divert um, overall trends. Yeah, I mean, the manufacturing sector, a uh, little, little slow to respond uh, to the economic boom that we saw in COVID because that was mostly consumption driven demand, as Anthony said. Uh, and also, they didn't have the parts or the equipment. And one of the things that Alan cites in here is that the OEMs have largely been controlling the order volume at this point because they didn't want to overcommit like they did early on in the pandemic to orders that they couldn't fulfill. Uh, and what we're seeing now is where they're getting, they're starting to get some of these parts in. They're able to actually manufacture uh, equipment at a faster pace than they were before, but they're still now going to be backed up all the way through 2023, if you read this article. One, one thing I wanted to call out here is that if you read FreightWaves.com, you would have known this was coming. Uh, because back in July, there was an article by Alan uh, that said, uh, here's why truck manufacturers' current order discipline won't last. And basically citing 
all these things that he's now talking about are now coming to fruition. The, the part shortages, um, and then there's, of course, people that need to replenish uh, not just equipment, like their overall equipment, but like engines and the aftermarket uh, parts and, and pieces that need to happen. Uh, it's just not going to last at this low level. And of course, these fleets with aging tractors, they're holding them on to a year or so. They have to replenish. They have to turn them over. Otherwise, maintenance gets out of hand. And, you know, we, we've talked about it before. These larger carriers like Knight Swift, uh, Schneider, and, and J.B. Hunt, they have a lot of cash on hand now because their ORs have been so expensive. So now is a great time, in my opinion, to replenish some of those because uh, they're not going to get these trucks for another year, potentially. Anthony, you got any thoughts there? Do you think this is a good move? Do you think it's a good pull forward in an extent? But it's also kind of a, a reaction to not having access to the equipment too, right? Yeah, I think it's definitely a reaction to not having uh, access to the equipment. I think uh, also that pent up uh, demand that uh, really, you know, impacted the space for much of, um, you know, throughout the midst of the pandemic. We were talking about this, especially when we saw the used truck prices going up. They were skyrocketing. and. Uh, already kind of feeling bad for those that were making these purchases at these elevated uh, prices uh, at the time that they were doing that because we were expecting that, okay, these aren't going to last. These are going to remain elevated for that long. And so uh, that's, that's, that's really where my thoughts are right now is just really, okay, now those drivers that, you know, made these purchases of some of these used trucks or, you know, these used fleets or whatever, and now they're stuck with these, you know, aging uh, uh, trucks, these aging uh, vehicles. They're, and they're also going to be stuck with those um, high bills that they pay for it. Yeah, the used truck market, the, the prices for used truck are, have come down uh, a skosh, but they're still almost twice what they were uh, before the pandemic. And, you know, I think Thomas Waston or Mike Vincent this morning actually talked about how this could actually make the, accelerate the decline in used truck prices as this equipment now uh, coming out of the OEMs, the new truck orders more available, going to put some more downward pressure on the used truck pricing uh, in that space. And also into the future, Anthony, I'm going to pose this one to you. This feels like a little bit of a bubble uh, for the new equipment manufacturing as we have this reaction to not having uh, trucks for a while, but also interest rates are supposed to go up even more so into the future. And also there's regulations uh, down the downstream uh, into the future that could impact uh, new equipment? Oh, 100%. And I, I think whenever we look at uh, the, the, the freight market, whenever we look at this industry, I think it's, it's almost a constant that there is an overreaction in almost every single, uh, uh, you know, macroeconomic <laughs> event that happens. You know, there's right. this overcorrection of, okay, we can't get any trucks. Okay, let's get all the trucks. Okay. Uh, we don't have X, let's get all the X. We don't, we can't pull this in, let's pull all of it in. And so I think this is going to be another case where this is going to be a play out where we see that um, there's just going to be a potential, not one say flood, but certainly an influx of, of more hitting the market. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how many of these trucks are sitting uh, in the back lots uh, when they actually get produced here in about a year and a half. So uh, moving on from that, uh, this we obviously had some huge news in the economic environment, and this affects everybody outside of supply chain. Uh, but the jobs report, Anthony, job openings dropped 6.2 percent 
Did I did is this is yeah. this some sort of thing they're going to correct next month or is this a real thing? <laughs> so I think this is very much a real thing. I didn't see the confidence intervals on this one, mm-hmm. um, like when we got with uh, I think it was uh, I want to say it was home sales, new home sales, which uh, we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is likely the real deal here. We're starting to see uh, that deterioration in the jobs market and. I, I, I gotta, you know, stay consistent. I gotta stay honest. I gotta say, you know, okay, one month of downward movement isn't a trend just yet, but it's definitely concerning. And I, I'm, I'm not gonna say, all right, I, we're calling it. The sky is falling. I'm just <laughs> saying this is it falling in line with expectations that you know we're gonna start to see declining job growth here or job openings growth. We're also seeing that there was a slight tick up and nothing too crazy yet, but layoffs. And so when we're looking at this deteriorating seemingly deteriorating, and I'm sure it is deteriorating, um, job uh, market right now, it, it, it really brings a lot of things to concern, uh, a lot of concerning things to my mind, because I started thinking, okay, we were in, a lot of people are saying is a questionable economy that it was slowing, but it was a slowing economy with record levels of job openings, um, still pretty low levels of unemployment it can get a lot slower and get into further levels of contraction with continued declines in job growth and continued declines and, um, you know, quit rates because people aren't feeling as confident about leaving their jobs anymore. That's the largest wage growth creator for a lot of people. It's going to be, all right, I'm going to leave this role and I'm going to get a new job. And that's going to be how I increase my wages with that kind of starting to be eliminated. Um, that's going to eliminate some of those wage growth opportunities also in the midst of ongoing inflation, even though we're seeing some moderation and some coming back from gas prices and energy, that's been a little bit of a, of a variable from time to time. But the other things have been consistently increasing on a month-over-month basis for the most part. And so that's really starts to get a little bit concerning when you're looking at the, the pressure that a lot of consumers are going to be under. In addition to all that, we're also going to have the credit card utilization number that gets updated on Friday. And we're seeing that, of course, at record levels with the savings rate below where it was before the pandemic. All of this really adds up to a consumer base that may not be in the best position to weather any kind of sudden changes in the job market right now. Yeah, and and the jobs market is a lagging uh, indicator, is it not, in terms of like how companies respond to economic uh, destabilization? Doesn't it normally like follow uh, a few months after the fact? Am I wrong? That's right. So when we look at the job opening number, it's actually a lagging indicator um, yeah. of the way that everybody has now, uh, you know, digested the fact that you know they start recognizing economic slowness. They stop putting jobs up on on the on the job board. So I want you to do two things for me because we got about two and a half minutes left. Uh, I want you to give us an update on the housing market because I believe you called this the inevitable bubble, the most obvious bubble of all bubbles that came out of the pandemic, even though there are many. I want you to update us on that. And then I want you to give me some good news because I feel like we've been saying all this negative stuff uh, overall. I want you to give me a reason to be optimistic about the economy at the end of your housing report. Two minutes to go. <laughs> you got it. You got it. All right. So uh, looking at the housing market. Okay. So where, where should we start? We got to start with, of course, New home sales, it surged, um, and it was a pretty staggering number, 28.8% in August. Um, now, this is uh, kind of a similar jump up that we also saw in housing starts that we that we got a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. Um, so the momentum behind this is likely going to be some of the momentum that we saw earlier on in the year. 
And that was around <clears throat> expectations that, you know, mortgage rates are going to be going up. So was, I think this is more so a final push. On top of that, we also saw that, um, that despite that double-digit jump in new jobs, uh, I'm sorry, in, in new home sales, annual sales are still down 0.1%. Now, the other big thing that I was kind of talking to a little bit earlier was that new home sales being up 28.8%. There's an 18.3% cost kind of hedging towards or maybe even a higher number, but I'm, I'm hedging towards a lower number um, for a revision coming through for the next month. And, and like I said, a lot of it's going to be pushed towards those, um, you know, I think uh, trying to get those homes uh, acquired before right. any more increases in mortgages. Now, the big thing is for inventories, existing home inventories are so tight. It's likely going to stay tight because folks that locked in those record low mortgage rates are going to want to stay there and not buy up or downsize because, hey, that's been exposed to a little bit more interest rates. But Zach, good news is, doesn't have to be a recession for you. You got options. <laughs> I got options. Oh, thank you for that last little positive note. Thank you for watching. Thank you for waiting for Anthony Smith to get his phone in order. Uh, everybody have a great week and drink some water, but not too much.